Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chad White. I'd like to say welcome to Restoration and happy Valentine's Day. I have the privilege this morning of uh, talking this morning about God's grace and power and how that grace and power delivered the people of Israel from Egypt. I'm really enjoying the fact that we're going through the Bible as one big epic story. When I started reading the Bible as a single story that leads to Jesus and God's saving grace, it really changed how I viewed Scripture. Um, It really opened my eyes to a whole new awareness of what God is doing in my own story. With that, will you please pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you are still speaking to us. I ask this morning that your spirit would guide my words and that you would be glorified through what is spoken this morning. Amen. I had a hard time preparing for this message. The Exodus is rather an immense story, dare I say epic. And where do you start? Do you start with Moses' birth and how God rescued Moses from uh, Pharaoh as a baby? You talk about God's provision for Moses, from Pharaoh floating in a basket on the Nile, to being rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, to having a mother as a nanny, to being raised in the palace. Perhaps I could go to escaping Egypt to the wilderness, finding a wife, and learning how to live as a simple shepherd. I'm going to move a little later in Moses' life. I'm going to start the story of Moser, excuse me, Moses after he's had his encounter with God at the burning bush. And back, he's back in Egypt to work as the voice of God to free the Israelites from bondage. I will say, though, if you want a good read, Exodus 1 through 4 is well worth your time. So we're going to pick up the story in Exodus 5, right after Moses and Aaron have talked to Pharaoh for the first time. Let me say, this just doesn't go quite the way that uh, Moses, Aaron, or the people of Israel had planned. In fact, we get just the opposite reaction that we think we should see. Not only does Pharaoh not let Israel go, he doubles the workload of the Israelites and has no problems letting Moses take the fall for his callousness. This gets under Moses' skin, and we read in Exodus 5, and 23. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Remember here, none of this surprises God. If Pharaoh had let uh, Israel go just like that, who gets the credit? Pharaoh does, right? Perhaps even Moses. God's plan is to so undo whom Pharaoh thinks he is and to introduce himself in such a fantastic way that Israel has no reason to doubt that they are God's chosen people. And God explains this in Exodus 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. And jump ahead just a little. God turns his attention back to Israel and sends Moses back to talk to Israel. We pick up that conversation in Exodus 6, 6 through 8. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, 
and I will redeem you with outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This is a fantastic promise. And all the people of Israel have to do is accept it. But Israel doesn't listen to God, as Moses speaks. They're too disappointed, and they're too caught up in their harsh labors. The Israelites are focused on their surroundings, and they're forgetting who's talking to them. Have you ever been so discouraged or disappointed by what's going on around you that you can't hear or see God working? Have you ever done something God's way, only to have things get harder? Not only does God show grace to Moses, but he reminds Moses who he is and reiterates the promise to deliver, to deliver Israel by his power. The good news here is that God is with us, and he does not give up on us. Even though the people of Israel don't see God moving or continuing to work on their behalf, God sends Moses back to talk to Pharaoh. Just as now, he may send the church to work on your behalf. But even Moses is having a hard time seeing how this is going to work. God's plan does not always make sense. But we need to walk in what he's calling us to in order to experience the blessings he is willing to impart to us. This is where God steps in and provides not only for Moses' doubts, but reiterates the fact that he's going to deliver Israel and do it in such a way that everyone will know that he is God. Jumping to Exodus 7, 1 through 6, we're going to read. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. When we're obedient, even in our doubts, God will show up and do wondrous things. Most likely not what we had planned, but wondrous things nonetheless. What would have happened here if Moses would have stopped? Where would Israel be if Moses would have decided that this was too hard? I can almost hear the things and the thoughts going through Moses' head. You know, I'm just going to go back home to the wilderness. I'm going to tend sheep. At least they'll listen to me. Um, most, time when, most times when God calls us out, it's not an easy step. But God will work wonders through our weakness if we allow him to. So Moses and Aaron go to see Pharaoh for a second time. And I believe that God has changed their perspective just a little bit. They know that despite what happens in front of Pharaoh, he's not going to believe. I also believe that this is more about the obedience of Moses and Aaron at this point than what Pharaoh is going to do. Back to Exodus 7, 
verses 8 through, thir- excuse me, 8 through 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to him, or to them, just as the Lord had said. Now the first time that Moses went to see Pharaoh, all he brought was a request, let my people go. This time, Moses is asked to produce credentials. He's asked to produce a miracle. God knows that Pharaoh is going to ask for this miracle in advance and tells Moses and Aaron exactly what to do. Throw down your staff, and it'll become a snake. But Pharaoh has his magicians do the exact same thing. Have you ever noticed in life how Satan tries to mimic God in order to blind people to the truth? The thing to keep in mind here is that while Pharaoh's magicians are able to mimic the miracle, they produce snakes, Moses' staff swallows theirs. While Satan is able to mimic the miracle, God is stronger, and his miracle is lasting. The magicians don't get their staffs back. Just just as in real life, Satan's promises are empty. God's are true and lasting and more powerful than anything Satan can do. While all of this is a fantastic show, Pharaoh's not impressed. He still believes that he's above God's law and judgment and sends Moses and Aaron on their way. Back up just a little and remember verse 4, and I paraphrase a little. Pharaoh is not going to listen, so with my mighty axe, I'm going to deliver Israel. Now we get into God's power and the ten plagues. The Hebrew word for plagues can also be translated blows or strikes. Think of this as a heavyweight boxing match, but only one fighter gets to throw blows. So the first plague is a plague of blood. One can assume that Moses and Aaron are not going to be granted an audience with Pharaoh for a third time. So God sends Moses and Aaron to meet Pharaoh at the river, the Nile River. Pharaoh again does not relent and tells Moses to tell Aaron, that's a long one, tell Moses to tell Aaron to, <laughs> to strike the river with his staff. Going to Exodus 7, 20 through 24, we get to see the results there. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and all his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled bad, so bad that the Egyptians could not drink the water. Blood was everywhere in, in Egypt. The Nile River that the Egyptians believed brought life, became death. God turns all the water in Egypt to blood. Not just the Nile, but the water in the streams, the canals, the ponds, and the cisterns. God's judgment is complete. Again, the magicians do the same thing, 
And again, Pharaoh is not dismayed because the magicians are able to copy the miracle. A couple of things to note on it here, though. The, mis- the magicians did not turn all the water to blood. They only turned a small amount. The other thing is if they're so powerful, why can't they change the water back into water? If you look deep, um, you continue to see that God is more powerful than what the world tries to substitute. That brings us to blow number two, the plague of frogs. So with the smell of rotting fish and rancid blood still fresh in the nostrils of the Egyptians, God sends Moses again to confront Pharaoh, this time with a plague of frogs. Frogs are cute and cuddly and make great pets, right? Imagine not being able to walk without stepping on a frog, carpet of frogs. Imagine not being able to uh, go to your kitchen without frogs on the counter. Frogs are everywhere. Not just one or two, but a swarm. And if the frogs that God sent were not enough, the magicians again replicate the miracle and brought more frogs into the picture. God uses their own fix to exasperate the situation. This uh, This time Pharaoh, though, has a small realization. Perhaps Moses and Aaron may have the answer. He tells Moses, if you pray and the Lord takes away the frogs, I'll let you go worship. Sounds like a good deal. Moses complies. He prays to God, and God does what Moses asks. The frogs go. Prayer changes things, remember. This is all fine and dandy until Pharaoh sees that there is relief, and he goes back on his word and still will not let Israel go. The third plague, the plague of gnats, is one of my favorites. Not because I want to be surrounded by gnats and everything else, but this is where the magicians get a realization. Reading from Exodus 8, 16 through 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on the people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on the people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen just as the Lord had said. The magicians actually say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. The magicians are finally at a point where they do not have an answer for Pharaoh. They have come to the realization that this is God and that God is more powerful than the gods that they have been worshiping. And this is the last time that the magicians mimic or try to mimic any of the plagues. Unfortunately, though, for Egypt, Pharaoh does not relent. He's still in a place of self-reliance and power. So he doesn't feel threatened, convicted, or anything by what's happened. So God brings forth the fourth plague, the the plague of flies. The difference now is that God sets Israel apart. The flies don't harass the Israelites, just the Egyptians. God is starting to differentiate his people from the rest of the world. Pharaoh still wants to have control and offers a compromise of letting Israel sacrifice 
but not leaving Egypt. Uh, Moses lets Pharaoh know that they're called to be different and need to leave in order to offer their sacrifices. So with the fifth plague, the plague of livestock, God again separates Israel from the Egyptians. The Egyptian horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats are all affected. But not even one of the animals of the Israelites is afflicted or dies. The sixth plague, the plague of boils, affects all the land except the Israelites. Pharaoh's heart still will not yield, though. Even with the evidence stacked against him, Pharaoh does not want to admit defeat or lose the control that he has. This might sound a little extreme, but I can think of times in my life where I've played the fool rather than admit that I was wrong. And this is where God raises the stakes. Reading from Exodus 9, 13 through 19, and then jumping to verse 26. Then the Lord says to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. For this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you, and against your officials and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt, from the day it was founded until now, Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will be brought in, excuse me, because the hail will fall on every person and any animals that is not brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. The only place it did not hail was in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Up to this point, God is... God had tempered his judgment on Egypt, but not any longer. Remember, God is not only going to deliver Israel, but do it in a way that brings him glory and has Pharaoh drive Israel from Egypt. God does offer protection or shelter during this plague. All the people need to do is make sure that the people and animals are inside. Often, it's those little steps that bring us closer to God. So if the hail's not enough, and there were any uh, crops or plants left, the eighth plague, the locust, would devour anything left that is green and growing in the land. Exodus 10, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt, so that the locusts swarm over the land, and devour everything growing in the field, everything left by the hail. God has put Egypt in ruin. All the plants are destroyed. Most of the livestock has been lost, and the people are starting to doubt Pharaoh and his power. Pharaoh really has nothing left, yet he will not yield to God's power and to Moses' request to let Israel go. At this point, the magicians and officials have come to the conclusion that this is God. So I believe that the last two plagues are directed specifically 
at Pharaoh. The only thing that Pharaoh has left is his power and his legacy. And the last two uh, uh, plagues strike at these directly. Pharaoh's power, uh, with power, Pharaoh is also called the bright and morning star by the Egyptians. Part of his power comes in the fact that the people worshipped him like a god. The ninth plague, the plague of darkness, lays waste to the title that Pharaoh is worshipped by. In Exodus 10, 21 through 23, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky, so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see any, anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Three days in darkness, not just any darkness, but darkness that could be felt. And yet the Israelites had light. This is not a candle or a lantern, but a light that God gives. This light can't be replicated, and it can't be mimicked. This light shines through the darkness on the ones that God has chosen. Even now, when you feel you are in a place so dark that you can't find your way out, God's light can reach you. Pharaoh's legacy is brought down with the final plague, the plague of the firstborn. This plague is what finally brings Pharaoh to his knees. Exodus 11, 1 through 6. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh, uh, by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, About midnight I will go through Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. God's grace again separates Israel from the Egyptians, and he offers them a way to be passed over. All of Exodus 12 goes into great detail about the Passover, but verses 21 through 30 kind of sum up what's going on. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once, select animals for your families, and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on the both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house or, and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. 
And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. God's power has completely broken Pharaoh. He's taken everything that Pharaoh holds dear, and with no other option, Pharaoh lets Israel go. But Israel did not leave as slave. They left as a conquering army would. They asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and clothing. And because the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards them, they plunder Egypt as they leave. They are being driven out of Egypt because of God's mighty power. The Passover story is still celebrated in Jewish homes today. They still celebrate God's power and deliverance. Jesus' last meal was the Passover meal. We as Christians celebrate Passover in a different way. Jesus is our Passover lamb. We're enslaved by our human desires and our sinful natures. Jesus' blood pays the price for our sins and sets us free to worship God in spirit and in truth. We get to become part of God's story. I'm standing up here this morning not because of training or not because I think I know it all. I'm up here as a result of God's grace. In my story, I've struggled with addiction. I've made several less than stellar choices in my life. I've been in places that I could not see my way out of. I felt very much trapped by my circumstances. And this is where God's grace has been extended to me. I have been forgiven by Jesus. Shall I say passed over by the blood of the Lamb? I'm up here because this is where my story has led me. Or is your story leading you? Is your heart so hard and resolved to yourself? You're so full of pride like Pharaoh? Are you blinded by your disappointments and harsh labors in the world around you? Are you being obedient to God and what he's calling you to, and it's still hard? Wherever you are, God is still calling you. He wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants you to walk in paths of righteousness. I can almost guarantee it's not going to look like what you think it should, but it will be well worth the commitment and sacrifices in the long run. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your power that delivers us. I thank you that you are still God and that we can't explain you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to people's hearts this morning, that these words would speak truth in their lives, and that they can hear you in a mighty and glorious way. 
may I ask these things in Jesus' name.